This is the Cipollini room. This is the Sam Hill room. And this is my room. Hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 44 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about their room. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And this week, again, another couple of great reviews have come in, so I want to read them out. So thank you for taking the time out to actually stop past the iTunes store and write a review. The first one, fantastic, by EBM Main USA. What can I say that hasn't already been said in all of the five-star reviews here? Keep up fantastic cycling podcasts, Damien. There's lots you can say. I'm pretty handsome, and no one's got to that yet, but that's a whole other story. The second one, excellent resource for new riders, RA1815. I've listened to four or five episodes so far and am very impressed with what I've heard. Although each episode isn't long, Damien, the excitable Aussie who hosts the show, packs every minute with useful and interesting content. I will definitely be subscribing and can't wait to hear more. That, again, really humbling stuff. I really do appreciate it. And a reminder that if you like the show, if you could please take some time out to write a review because you will most definitely light up my life. Now the news and holy crap, the Giro. How awesome has the Giro been? I've got to say I'm a little bit biased because Cadell is up there and it is a bit of a surprise. What has been my highlight since we spoke last? Well, stage eight, the time trial who says Nibbly can't time trial? It was an awesome, awesome effort. But watching that climb at the end of the time trial and everybody smashing up it, it was so awesome. And yes, Cadell did do the fastest climb up that hill. He was off the saddle for the last, it felt like, couple of Ks. It definitely was where the contenders came out to play. And that was where we started to see the end of Ryder Hejadal. But Nibali is a man to be reckoned with. You can't mess with him this year. He has been working on his time trialing. And there is a great article on Inner Ring that you can track down and have a read of about him working on his time trialing. And it definitely showed. And he is the one to watch. The other stage, stage 10, Sky, Sky, Sky. What can you say about Sky? They took the win. Erwan rode away. It was hot work, hot work. I was a big fan of what he was doing. He looked so fresh. He had composure all the way to the end. A stylish ride over the line. But the action was behind him on the steeper parts of the climb where Wiggins fell away. And Nibali must have been pissed. Something happened with his chain. And then if you watch him, Cadell sort of takes a little bit of advantage of that. But then he comes back roaring past everyone. He must have been pissed off. The guy rides on passion. That's why I'm a big fan of him. But overall, I think something that's playing into this whole tour is confidence. And confidence, for me, is really summed up with the three riders that you can talk about. You can talk about Nibali, which just he oozes confidence He not only knows within himself that he can attack and ride well, but it must be spreading around his team that they also believe in him. 
Also, you see Cadel's planets have lined up so far and his confidence is building. He's the type of writer, I feel, that things have to line up for him, for him to get more out of himself or that applies to someone of his talent. And finally, you can't go past talking about confidence without talking about Bradley Wiggins. He's had a rough time on the downhills and not that I'm happy to see it. I'm, I just am confused when you see him going down a downhill in the wet and looking like an absolute noob on the road. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it really shows that bike racing means that you have to be more of a complete rider than just someone that can ride up hills fast. But saying that, it's not over for Bradley Wiggins. There is definitely more to come. So what else is left for racing? Tour of California. I've actually been able to catch this because I have coverage in my area. Stage one, awesome attack with five kilometers to go. Westra coming through for the win. Stage two, I missed stage two, which I was a bit bummed about because it looked like it was epic. And you've got to say, crazy hot and hard riding. It's like no one from the peloton can get a break this year. I hope the tour has nice Beautiful weather for everyone to chill out in because so far it's either been freezing cold or freezing hot. Stage three, Schleck stretch his legs. Not bad. He was looking okay and he was putting it in in the breakaway. It's a good sign for things to come and slowly, slowly he is coming back. My pick, Michael Matthews, was oh so close when it came to winning stage three. Sagan, though, comes out of nowhere, shoots across the road and still has enough energy to win by a bike length. The guy is truly unbeatable in those situations. It's going to be interesting to see him again against Cavendish because Cavendish is fast this year in the Giro and he probably will take that form into the Tour. GC, Van Garderen, he's well-placed. We've got a time trial to come. Mick is up there, Mick Rogers, as well as Cam Meyer, my pick, but Cam Meyer's not in it for the win. He just doesn't have it. It could be that it's too early for him to actually have a crack at it, but he is still young, plenty of time left, and I'm looking forward to seeing who actually comes away with the win in California, because not only the weather, but the action has been hot, hot, hot. All right, the nuts and bolts this week. The nuts and bolts this week. Solving mechanical efficiency in your hips and ankles. Now, I don't know if that title means anything to you, and you're probably a little curious, and that's why you're here listening to me right now. But basically, this episode is going to deal with the basic problems and errors rather than a bike fit per se. A bike fit is going to go a long way in helping these elements, but in a bike fit, you are limited by your structure and to some extent, your vent. So basically, it's your limitations that stop you from getting into certain positions on a bike. And so depending on the extent of your limitations, a bike fit is just a band-aid. Making structural maintenance and improvement a high priority in your training will pay off no end. And today is going to look into two key areas and major limitations that most cyclists will experience during their riding lives. They are limited hip function and ankle range of motion. So to guide us through this is none other than my mobility man crush, Kelly Starrett. He was what inspired this actual episode and he is helping me with my issues in this area. And so this information is basically a mashup of his new book, his website and interviews that I've listened to over the last couple of months. 
It only just touches the surface, but this episode will definitely give you a couple of good tools to get your hips and ankles happening. So why even take notice of the hip and the ankle? Well, the closed off position of being bent over while riding is what causes the areas to tighten, seize up, and basically just stop functioning efficiently. And this adaption is what we're trying to combat when we're talking about mobility in this area. For me, I had a really big aha moment when I was reading through the following words in K-Star's book. As a rule, you should mobilize for four minutes for every 30 minutes of sitting. Huh? That absolutely blew my mind. That means that I should be essentially mobilizing for like an hour a day. But the adaption of tissues in the areas like the hip, especially the shortening of the front of the hip, can be demonstrated in Kelly's skin pinch test, where you stand up and if you hinge from your hips and grab a handful of skin around your hip flexors, now try and stand back up straight. See what happens. Basically, you have to overextend, you have to keep your knees bent to lift your torso upright. And this is exactly what happens when you sit for long periods of time. Your hip flexors start to reflect your working position, becoming adaptively short and stiff. So we're trying to combat this. And another aha moment came recently when I realized that mobility work is a continuous loop. And the only way to break the loop is to change my behavior. So for example, rather than just working on my mobility of my hips. I must change my posture, my sitting, my standing, basically everything that sets my body up into a correct position because it doesn't matter how much you mobilize, stand up, change position, what kind of chair, keyboard, mouse you use. If you're hanging out in a position that's compromising your posture, you will continue to experience the same consequences. And that was a really eye-opening, brain-opening moment for me. Okay, so this isn't the semi-pro sitting podcast, but I hope you're getting the picture here. It's funny how much sitting actually relates directly to cycling, even if you never sat down, which is the problem because you can't avoid sitting. And when you do, you're putting your body through this every single time. So where do we start? The place to start is spine position and bracing. Posture on the bike relates to the position of the spine while sitting down. This is expressed through learning how to set up a neutral spine and pelvis on the bike. It's a little difficult in the format of a podcast to try and get this through to you, but I'm going to try and make it as clear as possible so you can get the idea. And if you do want to follow up and look at pictures, you'll have to hunt them down through K-Star's information. But what it really comes down to, you're wanting to maintain a neutral position for your spine because it gives you the most function out of your hip by placing you in the best position to actually generate force. Once fatigue sets in, this is when you're in the danger zone, and not only is your power going to be compromised, but so is your spine. So try this out right now. Depending on where you are, whether you're on a bike or you're just sitting down at a desk somewhere, try this model for creating compression and position on the saddle of your bike. The setup for the braced neutral spine position is sitting upright in your chair or on the bike or if you are on the bike, take your hands off the bars and brace your stomach by pulling your belly down and back towards your spine. Once you have that position locked down, then you can cant the entire hip system forward, maintaining the back position. So you're just hinging from the hips with that back position staying exactly the same as it was once you've pulled your belly in. 
once you get tired, you're going to break this and you're going to move into overextension, which is pushing your belly forward and curving your back. And this is exactly what we're trying to avoid. So you've got to think about it like pulling your belly button into your spine so you can keep check of where you are. And when you're out on the bike and you're starting to fatigue, this is when you can start to make conscious adjustments so that you're not damaging your hip range of motion. Another cue is when your belly is out. So when you're in a position on the bike and you're breathing out and your belly is out, you have an unsupported spine. So you've got to keep it tight the entire time. And it may come down to muscular endurance, but it's really just going to take time to move through this and get used to this braced position. It's still about comfort though. So it's not about trying to maintain a hard rock-like stomach when you are riding. If you can recall what Steve Hogg defines as lack of comfort, which is the muscles being enlisted for purposes they weren't designed for and or periods they can't cope with, then we can think about the role of the belly is to keep a positive relationship between the spine and the pelvis. And so if you focus on keeping a tight stomach while you're bent over after you've set up, that's going to leave you in the best possible position, having a neutral spine and pelvis, which then if you're having issues after you can maintain that position, then you need to start looking elsewhere to see what's actually holding you back. And this is now where we move into the hip range of motion. And the best way to test this according to K-Star is by having a foot together pistol squat or getting into the bottom position of a pistol squat. If you don't know what a pistol squat is, basically it's a one-legged squat bending down on one leg and the other leg is out straight in front of you. Sounds gnarly, doesn't it? At least try maybe a full lunge without breaking that neutral spine position or getting down and doing a squat, a double-legged air squat, but having your feet maybe a fist width or together and seeing if you can actually get right down to the bottom position of that squat. If you can't do this, then you're missing hip range and you're compensating somewhere else on the bike, which can definitely lead to injuries or at minimum, you're leaking power to the pedals. Okay, so if you haven't done it now and you go away and do it later and you realize that you don't actually have that full mobility, how do you treat poor hip mobility? The first place to start is directly before a ride. And why would you want to do it directly before a ride? Because to get your hips into a good working position so they have a chance to adapt to this functionally better position. A couple of reminders here. Two minutes per mobility exercise is the minimum effective dose. And this doesn't necessarily mean that two minutes is all that you should be doing because it may be longer. What you are looking for is the actual change from what you are testing. So the test retest is the most important metric here, meaning before doing any mobility work for this region or any other region, find a test that you can do and do it before and after you have actually mobilized that area to see if there's a difference. Make note of where you are before you do it and then see if you are different after you've done it. This is the only indicator, the only metric that's going to be telling you that what you're doing is working and actually making a difference rather than just ticking boxes, which a lot of stretching in the past and I'm guilty of this, you feel, you just fall into doing the stretches and not actually thinking about what you're trying to mobilize, what the effect is, whether it's making a difference, and pretty much wasting a lot of your time. And overall, as far as time is concerned, you have to do this every single day. You may not be riding every day, but 
the way that sitting affects range of motion and everything you do affects range of motion, posture and everything, an absolute minimum is 15 to 20 minutes per day every single day. You can't afford to take a time off and let up on your mobility because it just moves way back to where you were before you even started. So if we run through four steps that I have for testing and stretching, I'll give you some exercises that K-Star recommends to help out with hip mobility. So step one, the test. Now, the test that I would recommend is just trying to do a full squat with your feet either together or one fist width apart. If you cannot get down into the full squat position, then you're in trouble somewhere along the chain from your hip to your ankle. So you have to start somewhere. And if we're going to start at the hip, then you want to start doing a combination of any of these exercises. The first thing you should really work on, and it's one of my favorites, and it's one that I do every single day, well, nearly every single day, but it's the whole front of the leg focusing on the actual hip openers. So the couch stretch is a favorite of mine, and also the lunging hip flexor stretch does the trick. The standard lunging hip flexor stretch is a classic one, but it really is where you're aiming. You're aiming to open up the front of the hip, and the couch stretch is basically like an old-school quad stretch, but you've got your shin parallel against the wall. I will link to a PDF document of a chapter of a book that does have pictures and all of these stretches. You can find the couch stretch on anything that K-Star does at mobilitywad.com if you want to have a look. Next, moving along is flossing with a strength band. If you don't want to know what a strength band is, basically it's just a large rubber band, but a super strong large rubber band. I currently am just using a tube folded over and anchored to a security door, but I've got a link if you want to check out what strength bands are and you want to actually buy one. But flossing at a position that will actually move your hip capsule which is where the femur joins to the hip and everything around that. Banded flossing is about putting your joint into a good position, and in this case, we're working in the hip capsule. Your tissues adapt to your riding and sitting position and become adaptively short. So at the head of the femur, at the end of the big leg bone that sits in the hip capsule, it will move from the center. So you're trying to move it back to the center of the hip capsule so you're not impinged by your range of movement. Basically, you just want to shift it back. It gets stuck and stiff in there. And this is just the next level as far as getting a little deeper with the mobility and moving the bone and everything that's surrounding the bone in the actual socket itself. So there's two main ways that you can do this, and it's basically facing the wall and not facing the wall. So if you just jam your leg through and pull the band up so it's right up tight at the top of your leg, if you face the wall and then you're bending over so you can get that movement so it just works that area and pulls that hip capsule towards the wall, the same turning around, dropping down to a knee and moving that knee up and down is the exact same thing but for the other side of it. Again, it is hard to explain on a podcast, but essentially all you're trying to do is get external force onto that area to try and move that area. It's such a chunky and large area. There is no way you can effectively do this without some type of force and band. Once you've done this and you've done your two minutes minimum per exercise per leg, then you need to retest and see if actually made a difference. How much lower can you go? All right. 
not done yet though because this is before the ride so you can be in a good position while you're riding and train your body to stay in that position but after the ride you want to work on the soft tissue you want to get in to the areas in the front of the body and around the hip region to kind of just mash out all of that stuff that will get stiff because you really do heavily rely on all of that when you're on a bike bending over it's the psoas and the pelvic bowl that need to get worked on. And if you can get a ball in there and roll around just to open that up and mash those areas, then it's actually going to be helping those areas recover and move into a better position. So that's easily 20-minute combo of exercises right there. This can be your 20 minutes if this is the area you're working on. If we move downstream now, then we move to the ankle. And the ankle is really intriguing because... Like you would have heard Steve Hogg mention a few episodes back, if you're going to design a mechanical device to pedal a bike, you would not put a foot or an ankle in there. But this is the way we are designed, so let's look at the realities that cyclists may face with their ankle range of motion. Firstly, the ankle stays in a tiny range when pedaling, especially when compared to most other sports. This means that the ankle capsule gets stiff and the heel cord gets short and the bottom of the foot can go numb and there's a lot of consequences in not having this freedom of movement and it has a lot to do with being able to adjust and protect the rest of your leg when you're actually in that pedaling motion. One way to solve this is through a cycling-specific aftermarket sole. Again, it's what was mentioned by Steve Hogg and it's around the arch support, the shimming and the wedging. I'm not going to go into that stuff today, but it is very important. And and Steve Hogg places a lot of emphasis on this. And I can really start to understand why when you start digging into the ankle range of motion a little deeper. If we want to test ankle range of motion, we can once again do this by squatting down. Now, if you are unable to get down to that full position, you find you have to prop yourself up on your toes, which I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that the majority of people listening will fail at this and will have to be on the toes. I'm up on my toes. I have a lot of work in front of me to do, but it's exciting knowing that I can isolate this and then work on it and try and change the way my body is adapting to cycling. So again, four steps. And step one is testing. So you can test again with the squat or you can do another one. For example, you can sit down on your ass, legs straight out, and just pull your toes back to the sky and you can see how far back you can actually get them. It's not really going to make a difference until you've done one leg and then you test to see the difference and then you do the other leg and retest. That's where you really start to see the differences and it doesn't take much to get differences. That's kind of the good thing and the motivation is once you can actually see something happening every single time you sit down and do some mobility, then you are going to want to continue because it's actually making a difference. So step two band or tube again but this time you're putting it against your heel and in a standing position put force on it by stepping back and stretching the band facing the wall and then trying to get down into that squat position and once you're down in that squat position you can move around you're basically just wanting to put tension onto the heel cord and play around at that area to open that up slightly you will find that this makes an absolute massive difference when you then sit down and retest but we can take this further and 
It's got nothing to do with stretching here. Those lame stretches where you're standing up trying to stretch something down, there is no way stretching is going to make a difference because it's stiff tissue. You can't just stretch stiff tissue. It's not going to make a difference. So you need to get in and actually smash the area behind the ankle at the bottom of the calf. You can either do this by getting a ball in there and just working it over or you can lie on your stomach and you can get someone to actually shear from side to side that whole area with their foot. It's going to be gnarly pain, but it's definitely going to be worth it because it's going to free up that whole area and allow you to have more of that movement. You can also get in there with a ball and you want to be able to move the back of your heel around. Can you actually move the skin that's on your heel? If you can't, then how the hell is your ankle going to move anyway, you know? So you've got to get in and you've got to be able to move that skin around. You've got to be able to manipulate that rear of that heel so it frees it up because it will that will also get locked into position and so just playing around with that on a ball is going to be a great way to do it again this pdf that i'll link to at the show notes is going to be the best way for you to check out how you can actually do this yourself rather than just trying to figure it out from my voice with a poor explanation but definitely moving to step four is retesting checking it out and once again the motivation from retesting and making changes on that day is where the power is at. So in conclusion, I really can't tell you where to start first. You're much better at just taking a guess and working on something rather than nothing, picking one area at a time to work on, whether it is your hip or your ankle. Take time to work on it. Take the power into your own hands and learn through testing and retesting. Read more of K-Star's stuff if you are interested in getting a broader perspective of posture and mobility. And this is only just one part of a very big picture. So, after all that talking, let's move to the tech hacks and product section. And this week, I don't know how to describe this one, but it's surrounding gut issues and poo. Yes, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to poo. I have come across a chart to assess your stool composition. Now, you may not know why this has anything to do with cycling, but cycling is a fitness sport. We want our bodies to be working in the best possible way so that we can get the best out of them on race day or wherever we are riding. So check out the chart. I've got the link in the show notes. Pick which type you see most often in the bowl. And as a guide, anything other than a consistent type, three or four can be an indicator that something's up in there. While that may sound crude, your poo is one of the most immediate and direct feedback mechanisms you have for how healthy you are internally. So pay attention, just like the article says. I would take some time out to read this article, see how you stack up. Personally, I find it very fascinating, but I've also got another reason for talking about poo. This is actually a lead-in to July, which I'm putting together nutrition month here at semi-pro cycling it's been a long time coming but i'm right in the middle of tracking down nutritionists and cyclists to interview looking at all aspects of nutrition and diet so we can discover together the best ways to put our diet together so we can figure out what to put in our mouth and then how that then will turn into what kind of poo so we can be better riders. now let's get to the quote from the top of the show it's ned the lung over and why the lung? The man is lung like a horse. If you don't know Ned Overend and you're a mountain biker, shame on you. He is a pioneer, one 
part man, one part machine, one of my idols growing up. Check the video in the link if you ride specialized. He wants some help decorating his room. Also, go check out the man himself. He seems to have this eternal flame for doing well and riding bike races fast. He is awesome and and most definitely one of the cool guys that makes riding a bike even cooler. But that's it for me this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 